T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. Joining us now is a former gymnast, also the first known victim of Larry Nasser, now a civil and trial attorney focused on representing victims of sex abuse. Sarah Klein, thank you for coming on to KMOX. Thank you so much for having me. And Larry Nasser in the news, again, we saw an appeal that uh, didn't work out for him, but there could be another appeal coming forward to the uh, Michigan Supreme Court based on the crimes he was convicted of. He's saying that there was a bias when it came to his sentencing, uh, looking at, what, 60 to 175 years in prison. I'm wondering, uh, considering that now, as a lawyer and someone that represents victims of uh, sexual abuse, is that sentencing too harsh, or do you think it's appropriate? No, the sentence itself is is not too harsh whatsoever, and and I don't even think that his attorneys could find any any reasonable suggestion of that. Um, I think what he's doing is attempting some sort of a hail mary from inside his prison cell. It's clearly not you know, going so well for him. And it's a, it's a, it's a desire to exert control when control has been taken away from him. And there's nothing a narcissist hates more than, you know, having the attention taken off of him or having any sort of loss of control. So that's what we're seeing here. Um, and to suggest bias in a courtroom, you know, it was, a hundred plus women telling the truth about who he is and what he did. And the judge was listening and we're grateful for that. And so to attempt to have a, another judge resentence, I see it as grasping at straws. And it's really our hope that, that the Michigan Supreme Court denies to hear the case and, um, and agrees with the appellate court. So at a time when you see these different appeals, do you have any anything to do with that case, or is it just basically uh, hands-off? It's If it's an appeal, it's just up to a judge if they're going to take the case or not? Yep, it's up to the Michigan Supreme Court. So in terms of the survivors having anything to do with that, um, we don't. And in terms of my, my role as a lawyer, I don't have anything to do with that, given that I was a survivor in that case. Um so we'll just we'll just wait and see what the Michigan Supreme Court says. 
I cannot imagine that the court is going to want to re-victimize, you know, the hundreds of women who have come forward and, and who spoke at that sentencing and do it all over again. I know that that's a real concern um, that some survivors have, but I don't foresee that happening. Um, and I can't imagine that Larry would want to sit through that again. So we'll see what happens. But here's the good part. We know Nasser is in prison the rest of his life based on his federal sentence. So again, that speaks to the fact that he's not appealing this to try to get out of prison sooner. He's in his mid-50s. Based on his federal sentence, he's never getting out, period. This is a power play. And unfortunately, power and control are very typical characteristics that we see in pedophiles. And so I think that's what's manifesting itself here. You know, as a, uh, a trial attorney and you see a lot of different cases, normally speaking, when you're representing someone that has been a victim of sexual abuse and let's say the perpetrator uh, is found guilty of the crimes, do they normally always find themselves appealing, appealing, appealing? Is that a pretty common thing in a case like this? Um, I think it depends on their their means. Um, how much money they have and, you know, sort of how, how righteous they really are. So, you know, if he has the resources to do this and he is sitting there still believing, you know, I, I didn't do anything wrong, then, you know, it, it doesn't surprise me. So you do see it. Absolutely. It's not uncommon. Um, but again, you know, a lot of times perpetrators don't have the resources or or the energy to sort of go through it all over again. But Larry's attempting it, and, and clearly from what we saw, even in the courtroom in Lansing, Michigan in January of 2018, Larry wrote a letter to the court, um, you know, asking the court to not let the victim speak anymore because it was too hard for him to listen to, right? Um, he sexually abused over 500 little girls and it was too hard for him to listen to that truth so that just goes to speak to who he is and i'm not surprised by this but again we're really hoping that the michigan supreme court uh denies denies even hearing this case yeah you, you talk about the resources of larry nasser is at this point is there is it possible someone's actually financing him or is he just burning through any savings he had I have no idea. I can't even begin to imagine. Yeah. Um, but, you know, who knows? Somebody's paying his lawyers, right? Yeah, there has to be. Well, I, I couldn't imagine them taking it on just for the sake of, you know, wanting to help him out. I don't know who would want to do that. Another thing I was curious about is when it comes to lighter sentencing, and sometimes there are appeals, do you ever find it appropriate? So have you ever seen cases where you look at the case and you realize, well, maybe a lighter sentence would be appropriate? You know, in, in the work that I do, I do exclusively sexual abuse cases. I don't ever believe that there is any such instance where there should be a lighter sentence. Um, I think that when you sexually abuse somebody, you are emotionally murdering them. And when you're doing that to a child, you're literally changing the course of their life forever on, on not only a cellular level, um, but a psychological level, um, you know, a, a mental health level, obviously. And so I don't, I don't think there's, there's any sentence great enough for that. You've essentially taken 
the life and the spirit of a child, um, I, I believe that, that the harshest sentence possible is, is just. She's a uh, former gymnast, also a victim of Larry Nasser. Now she's a civil and trial attorney focusing on representing victims of sex abuse. And Sarah Klein joining us here on Overnight America. When you hear these different cases appealed, and let's say that for whatever reason, the Michigan Supreme Court decides to hear this case, the appeal case, what does that mean for all of the hundreds of victims of Larry Nasser? Does that send any message to them and is this harmful for the victims to think that he even has a shot of appealing uh, in, a, in a situation like this? Yeah, I think, you know, if the court did choose to hear the case, it's based on the merits, right? So the court is not making a statement that Larry's innocent or your story didn't matter or what happened to you was okay. However, I think that's really still hard for a survivor to reconcile and not take that to mean something um, about about what they've been through and and the cost to them to, to have come forward in that first sentencing and that sentence be be redone. Um, you know, so if they hear it and, and they're hearing it on the merits, you know, I, I could still disagree with that, but it's up to the court to sort of decide and, and you know, maybe maybe they ha- would have some reason for doing it. What I would want the survivors to to understand is it doesn't it doesn't make um, your story any less meaningful, and it doesn't you know it doesn't change the outcome, right? And, and I cannot imagine a, a judge that is going to resentence Larry Nasser and give him a lesser sentence. I, I can't imagine that happening. And again, it's sort of a moot point given the fact that his federal sentence spans the rest of his life. So, you know, th- this is his his state court sentence. And so, you know, even if, worst case scenario, um, you know, he was resentenced to a lesser sentence, he's still in prison the rest of his life. But it does take a psychological tool on the survivor um, to to experience the power of Larry Nassar from behind mm-hmm. bars, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, that would be that would be it would be really difficult to to think that he was still sitting back there behind bars pulling the puppet string. Right. Um, that's what he got away with for thirty years, and and it's our hope that that no one allows him to to do that. But he's not going anywhere, um, and that's the most important thing. He'll never hurt another child. Sarah Klein is a former gymnast known as the first victim of Larry Nasser. She stood up and spoke against Larry Nasser and became nationally known for it. Actually won an ESPY for her bravery in 2018. Now she's a civil and trial attorney focused on representing victims of sex abuse. And we'll continue our talks with her coming up after the break. Larry Nasser in the news again. He is trying to appeal to the Michigan Supreme Court for a lighter sentence. We'll continue to get her thoughts on that on Overnight America, KMOS. Radio's BS detector, Mark Reardon. Weekday afternoons at 2 on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Welcome back to Overnight America. I'm your host, Ryan Recker. You can find us online, Ryan Recker Radio, on Facebook, or if you want to look up KMOX.com, links to some of the things we do on there. Just go to the show page. She's a former gymnast and the first known victim of Larry Nasser. 
now a civil and trial attorney focused on representing victims of sex abuse. Sarah Klein, our guest on Overnight America, to discuss Larry Nasser, who is now trying to appeal for a lighter sentence to the Michigan Supreme Court. During the case itself, a very high-profile case, of course, and a lot of people started to learn your name because of this, one of the first to come forward. And since then, we've seen a lot of uh, people recognize the sexual abuse that is just hidden in plain sight in a lot of ways. And you really went out and said, I want there to be a change for victims of sexual abuse. There needs to be uh, someone out there that is calling for political change or uh, cultural change, things like that. Over the last couple of years, the things that you've been advocating and working for, have you seen change? I have. I have. It's baby steps for sure. Where I've seen the most change occur is, is, number one, the stigma and the shame that comes with talking about sexual abuse or acknowledging, you know, that, that you're a survivor of sexual abuse, that has, has lessened, right? We've seen a really powerful movement in, in the country and in the world in that respect. That's wonderful. The other place where I've seen change occur is with, with some laws in terms of statutes of limitations. The statutes of limitations in in each state um, is extremely archaic. It's arbitrary. It makes no sense that by X age you should have reconciled what happened to you and if you wait one week too long, you have zero recourse, right? We know that the average age of reporting child sex abuse is 52 years old for some of the reasons I just touched on, the shame, the confusion, the fact that if it happens when you're a child, you don't necessarily have the language, the ability. In my case, I love Larry. I trusted Larry. It never dawned on me that that's not what doctors do to their patients. When you're eight years old and that's your normal and you don't know anything different, you don't have the the ability to, to, or the words to say, this is sexual abuse. And so these laws that preclude the survivor from having legal recourse um, are protecting the perpetrators. And, And that's something that we've been really pounding the pavement, kind of going from state to state and saying, look, you know, I, I don't care, you know, whether you're a Republican, Democrat, whatever, but this is a pretty black and white issue. Um, and I think we can all agree on the fact that children should be protected and, and entities and enablers and perpetrators should not be protected. It's been a fight in some states. It's been easier in, in some states over others, but we're getting there. You know, New York, California, New Jersey, we've made real progress. Delaware has eliminated the statute of limitation in civil cases permanently. There isn't even a statute. So that that's progress, right? We're getting there. But it's still it's still a fight and, and, and you might ask why. And it comes back to the old money power, you know, protect the entity, protect the brand. Um, because at the end of the day, it's money, (laughs) you know, it's money. And that's what we saw with Michigan state. That's what we see with USA gymnastics. That's what we see with the United States Olympic committee. Um, they, they do not want to suffer financially and they do not want brand damage. And so until we get past that, kids aren't safe. Wow. Um, and until the laws protect the kids, they're not safe. 
Yeah, so you're fighting a lot of other entities too, um, and then that makes it a little bit more difficult because the the incentive for some of these larger institutions like Michigan State, if you wanted to talk about the difficulty of bringing something like this forward and all the red flags and even those that came forward and they did not respond appropriately to it, they're, uh, you know, of course, worried. You're right about their own brand, which uh, is that's not something that anyone or any administrator should ever take into consideration when someone comes up and says they've been a a victim of sexual abuse. That shouldn't have to be something that they try to justify uh, reporting properly because of protecting whatever institution they're working for. And in their own mind, I think about some of the victims having a very difficult time moving on, even after the fact, and maybe not with the Nasser case, but there's a lot of people that have found themselves uh, victims of sexual assault, and it doesn't surprise me that a lot of them really don't confront it until they're an adult years after the actual event happened. So for those that may have been fighting this for a long time, what advice do you have to them who may feel like they're helpless in a situation like this? Yeah, I mean, there there are resources, and what we've seen happen is sort of this beautiful uh, family that you never asked to be a part of, but you but you are because of the circumstances that occurred of brother and sister survivors who have come together across the country and really across the world to sort of stand together, stand on each other's shoulders, and say you know, we're taking our power back, we're taking our voices back, and this happened, and it's not okay, and it can never happen again. And, you know, it's a beautiful thing to be able to represent clients who are in, you know, sort of the beginning stages of the healing process, who are just beginning to reconcile some of this stuff, having gone through it personally myself, and now to be able to sort of take their hand and walk them through it. Um, it's it's really a full circle moment for me. And, you know, what I want to say to any survivor out there, this was not your fault. And you were entitled to a life without this. And given that fact, your voice matters. Healing is possible. And there is the other side to it. Um, and we're here. We are here. You know, I, I am part of this, the survivor army. Um, and and again, I, I represent survivors for a living. And it's the greatest honor of my lifetime. And it's, it's a real family. So if anybody's listening who feels alone, you are not alone. Reach out. Speak up. We're here. We believe you. And this was not your fault. Uh, and one last question. Uh, Sarah Klein is a former gymnast and the first known victim of Larry Nasser. And this one's a little bit more personal in the sense, but you talk about your mission and purpose and everything that you've worked for. And I listen to how positive you are based on this. Uh, we know that Larry Nasser was ultimately held accountable for his crimes. How do you, as a victim, how do you make it so you're not bitter, you're not vindictive? How are you able to get to that point where you're able to talk about this and make something good out of it? Yeah, you know, holding on to, you know, rage and anger and anguish and pain is not harming Larry Nassar. It's harming me, and it's affecting my day-to-day life and my ability to you know, be the person that I want to be in terms of a mother, in terms of a lawyer representing survivors, and, you know, in terms of just a, a member of our society. And so it's, it's 
something where I've been able to get to the point where I have given meaning to what happened to me. I think some of that bitterness and rage comes from feeling like, why me? Or something was taken from me and it's not fair. And that's all true. And those are all very real, you know, feelings. And I've definitely gone through them. Um, But being able to say, I didn't go through that experience for no reason. I went through that experience 17 years of basically daily abuse so that now I can take that person who is terrified and, and afraid and alone and, you know, struggling and I can walk with them and I can help them get their life back and their power back like, like others did for me. And that's my healing that is my healing process. It has it has been tremendously healing for me to get to be the one now that that takes their hands and gets them through it. And so, you know, if if this is if if I had to go through all of that to get to this point, then I guess I could say that that I'm grateful for it and it makes sense to me. And so, giving meaning to suffering really helps with the with the negative emotions that can really consume you, as you said, and and keep you frozen. Well, let's say someone here is listening. They want to learn more about the work that you're doing, or maybe they know someone or even themselves that um, they haven't confronted something in their past. What's the first step for them? Where should they go? Who should they talk to? I respond to every single email or, you know, direct message on on Instagram or Twitter um, that I receive because if, if somebody has the courage enough to reach out, I, I do not take that lightly. And so I can be found at manlystewart.com, M-A-N-L-Y-S-T-E-W-A-R-T, um, and on Twitter at S-G underscore Klein, K-L-E-I-N, and on Instagram at Sarah with an H G Klein, and you know there are resources. If I if I can't help in, in my capacity as a lawyer or another survivor, I can certainly point you in the right direction. Mm, this is uh, important, and I'm glad that we had some time to talk about it tonight. Uh, now a civil and trial attorney, but uh, a former gymnast and first known victim of Larry Nasser, Sarah Klein. I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much for coming on and discussing uh, Larry in the news, trying to make that appeal here on Overnight America. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Sarah Klein joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. We'll take a look at your weather in just a few minutes on Overnight America KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.
Cardinal Spring Training is underway in Jupiter, Florida. And KMOX's Mike Claiborne is covering it all. Hear his daily reports, mornings and afternoons, and on Cardinal's Open Line. Sponsored in part by T.R. Hughes Homes. On your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. Welcome back to Overnight America. Joining us now is someone that's a media and political strategist, also the CEO of AMWPR, talking about uh, journalism today during the Biden administration. Adam Weiss, thanks for coming on to KMOX. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ryan. I want to get your overall opinion on what's going on since the switchover of administrations. And we have Joe Biden and his uh, people, uh, new press secretary, all of those different things. I'm wondering if you think journalists are purposely not doing their job because of the bias they may have. I, yeah, I think it's a cynical ploy that they're really uh, showcasing here because to, to focus and, I, you know, we all get our emails in the morning and. I'm constantly getting emails from the big publications about Trump, another story about Trump, another story about Trump. And I'm like, wait a second. Trump is not the president anymore. They're still obsessing over Trump. And it seems like they're not doing what professional journalism should be doing is covering the president of the United States. I've gone into lecturing into different universities and communications over the years. And I teach the young students you know, what makes news? I said, there's certain people in the world, whatever they do is newsworthy. The president of the United States ties his shoe, it's newsworthy. He, his hair is out of place, it's newsworthy. Whatever he possibly does on any given day, it's newsworthy. Not now. They don't care if Joe Biden stumbles in his speech, can't remember things. He, you know, doesn't do what he says on policies, reverses course. It doesn't matter with the, the, main, the mainstream media these days. They're not playing by journalistic rules. Their ideology is so bent up and so reliant upon liberalism that they're not actually acting as journalisms anymore. So we're going to get. So what are they stuck on? They're stuck on hammering about Trump still because they think that will still get them the ratings. Maybe that will still get them book deals that will still put them in the spotlight because if they really covered Joe Biden the way they're supposed to, it would be interesting because they'd be covering scandals. They'd be covering reversing his policies. His policy is going to ruin America, basically. So the fact that they're not covering any of that, it's boring. You know, softball questions to a press secretary who doesn't want to ask anything is boring. Mm-hmm. Softball questions to a president who's ideologically opposed to most, you know, our values is boring. So we're stuck on them obsessing over Trump when he's not even the president of the United States anymore. If that kind of yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Let me tell you some of the observations. And I was trying to compare what went down in Texas with the storm that went through the power grid issues, people without power. And we, I was trying to think back of some of the natural disasters that hit the United States during the Trump administration. And I remember the headlines as ridiculous as they are, they would say, you know, Trump didn't lower the flag to half mast quick enough. And then, oh, you know, it's, it's been, uh, it's been a day and a half. Why is it, what the money going to fill in the blank or all of these different things that would come up. And then you fast forward to what happens in Texas. You have millions without power. The grid is in you know, shambles, and they're still trying to figure out uh, what are they going to do to fix this in the future. And the media gushes over Joe Biden playing Mario Kart with his grandkids. And that's like the headlines. And I'm thinking, you don't even try to treat these administrations equally. You don't even um, try to put any elbow grease into this. You just gave up on 
hard journalism. You've gone into uh, running defense for the Biden administration. Yeah, and it's the same thing. Do you remember way back with Hurricane Katrina and when George Bush, I don't know, he did some flyover and he wasn't there fast enough for the hurricane. They sunk. The media did such a job on him, hit job. His approval rating went in the tank and went in the, you know, after what they did to him, must have been like in the 20s. So when it's a Republican president, as soon as any natural disaster hits, it's where's the money? Why aren't you there quick enough? It's all of a sudden now Joe Biden's president. It's why isn't Governor Abbott doing enough? Why is Senator Cruz going to Cancun when he has nothing to do with a natural disaster? He's a state. He's a U.S. senator. It's, it's the governor's responsibility. And the president of the United States can help out with big FEMA money and all that. But they're obsessed with Senator Cruz that he happened to take his kids to Cancun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that became the biggest story. Not that a million That's people were out of power, right? <laughs> Not that they were on lines and looking for the next place to stay. But Senator Cruz happened to go to Cancun. How does this yeah. happen in America? That the journalism has gotten so derelict in their responsibilities and people like uh, us have to sit here and, and pick up after where they, you know, fail. And let's also point out some of the questions that are being asked to the press secretary at this time. And there are some people asking questions that are tough, but the problem is they ask the questions with like a tail between their legs. Like they're almost afraid they're going to be scolded for asking a hard question, but some of them do it anyway. And then they never answer them. And if it's not complimentary, oh, we'll circle back or whatever. And if this was the Trump administration, it would be the headline of CNN and MSNBC's website for 24 hours about them dodging questions. And then they would probably try to blame uh, murders on Trump because they didn't get money to Texas quick enough and there's blood on his hands and they say, you know, they do all of these different tricks on their online articles and things, but flip around to what's going on today and they're doing everything they can to try to defend the Biden administration. To me, that's not yeah. journalism. I mean, that's activism. Yeah, it was like such a war zone every day, whether it was Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Kelly McEnany, and how many press conferences did the president himself do when it was Trump? Yeah. And those were theaters. It was like, it was like muscle. You could have sold pay-per-view events to those press conferences. <laughs> it was so entertaining. But the questions and the vitriol that they would throw at the, the president of the United States and the press secretary, it was on and on and on. And, and I love your analogy, the way you said it, was like a scared kid in class is trying to wave his hand a little bit. Can I ask <laughs> one little question, please? And they get it. She says, let me look into it tomorrow. And that's it. There's no follow-ups ever, right? You notice that? They never, never move the story yeah. forward when it's a Democrat. When it's a Republican, it's President Trump said this, and then they'll run to all the senators and say, do you agree with what he said? And they'll run to the administration, do you agree with what he says? And then if one senator disagrees, then he's championed on MSNBC and he's highlighted. <laughs> senator so-and-so disagrees with Trump, says he shouldn't have done it. And the, the why it never works on the other side, because... They don't want to move the story forward. They just might cover the event. They don't blame it on. Ob- you remember what it was the something in the uh, Obama administration? Anytime there was a natural disaster or something that went down really bad, it was a story, but they never blame it on the president. You know, they mm-hmm. never. Same thing, natural disaster. Somehow it gets blamed on a Republican president. Every natural disaster, right? Mm-hmm. They use it as a as a vehicle to plummet ratings of a U.S. president. The reason Trump did so well, and it really didn't plummet his approval ratings, because he always fought back. One thing he taught the American people and a lot of his supporters and 
that the media is so biased and he fought back. So pretty much the day he was elected to the day he lost, his approval rating pretty much stayed the same level. George Bush never fought back, the son George Bush. He left office at like a 32% approval rating. He sat there and, and took the punches. And people like myself would always be like, why aren't you fighting back? Why don't you? Mm-hmm. The media you know. I will say that I'm interested in seeing how some of these other journalists and commentaries that have been popping up in other countries and Sky News has been really hitting Joe Biden. And they've been doing it pretty consistently, pointing out just how weak the questions from the media have been to Joe Biden. And then they want to be very clear to point out all of the issues and scandals that are not being reported here in the United States. And they have been consistent uh, in Australia and over in the UK at pointing these things out. I'm wondering why we can't do that more here in the United States and why do we find ourselves wanting the journalists to do their job, but they still won't. Yeah. I think the lower level, and if we reverse this about 20 years ago, it's so bad with the way Joe Biden and his administration, uh, ideologically coming across America. I think it would be covered more, but the new generation of journalism, you know, are not just journalists and they're activists. You know, you can see it on Twitter. You can see it on the, you know, the way they all day long, they're tweeting and they become an activist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that really shows in the way it's portrayed in the media and on the TV screen. It's not just about story. You know, these stories should be covered. It's the president of the United States. Everything he does, all these new policies should be covered and it should be covered from both sides. But no, it's just pure activism. And that's what's happening for the media in this country. I mean, they, in the journalism schools of America, they're so biased, the professors. It's just basically pure, you know, activism that's happening. Yeah. Okay, so if people wanted to learn more about you or find you on social media, things like that, where can they look? They can go, I'm at Twitter at, at Adam Matthew. The company's uh, amwpr.com. We're a communications firm. I'm here in Miami Beach, but I have an office in New York City and home there, too. I just got out of there for at least six months because we have such a uh, bad leadership and governor and mayor that they've, you know, crippled the city of New York. And so that's why I'm holed up here in the uh, sunshine state. <laughs> hey, you're a lot of people are going to Florida right now. I mean, I've heard all kinds of different people saying, you know, it's, it's look at the difference between just the happiness level between the different States and California versus Florida right now. It's not even close. People are so much happier there. So that's the type of thing that needs to be taken into consideration. It's two different countries, Ryan, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Adam Weiss is a media and political strategist, also the CEO of AMWPR. Thank you so much for coming on to KMOX tonight. Thank you, Ryan. Have a good night. And Adam joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. This is Overnight America KMOX. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. Welcome back. It's Overnight America. And what do you think? Do you think that the media has given Biden a pass? Do you feel like most of the same news organizations that would be hounding the Trump administration all of a sudden when faced with scandals and many of them to choose from decide to give him a pass? I think I uh, see that on a daily basis. Maybe you uh, see it a different way, though. Maybe you think they're doing such a great job. And no, they would never they would never. Uh, go ahead. Tell me why. Maybe you can change my mind on that. 314-436-7900 or 800-925-1120. 
And it's an interesting headline I was reading about the Washington Post really enjoying uh, Joe Biden's approach to Texas. When you were looking at the way this winter storm hit a system that was not uh, used to a system like that, it's not unusual, I would say, for Texas to get snow. It's not uh, extremely rare. Maybe unusual is the better word for it. But if you lived in Texas and still live in Texas, you probably have seen snow at least once or twice in your life. It might come by every, I don't know, decade or something. But if you're a kid, you might not see it. It might be a special thing. And whenever there's even just a light dusting of snow, it's enough to close everything down because people just don't know how to drive in it, do anything with it. It's this level of snow. It's this level that hit that was quite unique. And it makes it a, a disaster because the grid had to be shut off. People lost power for days at a time when they said, oh, we're just going to do rolling blackouts uh, 45 minutes, an hour and a half at a time. And then, you know, a, a day and a half later, you still don't have it. Your water gets shut off. You find that it gets so cold. People don't know how to winterize things in Texas. You know, at least I know when I was growing up, we had this cabin in Michigan. My parents had this small cabin on a slab and we'd have to winterize the thing every year to make sure nothing bursts. So you go through and you make the special precautions. And even if we go on vacation somewhere and it's going to be cold, my dad still tells me winterize the house just in case something goes out when you're not there. You don't want to come home to a bunch of pipes and bursts. You know, that'd be terrible. So he prepares me for things like this. A lot of people don't think that way because they never would have imagined in Texas that would be happening. So we do have a disaster area and people have had their livelihoods turned upside down. We've had people lose their lives, real sad situations. And the Washington Post puts out, oh, the Biden administration facing its first natural disaster. The president himself taking a notably low key approach. He hasn't visited the region or delivered any primetime remarks. He didn't even mention the disaster at the recent town hall. Contrast that to former President Donald Trump's habit of making himself an often hostile center of attention during natural disasters. So you have the Washington Post looking at this and saying, it's so great that we have a president that could ignore a natural disaster. Isn't that refreshing? As opposed to a president that responds to it and makes it about himself. Well, so number one, they have to find a way to give him a kidney punch even in the response. But number two, do you like it? Do you like the idea that when we have a natural disaster, and then, I mean, even a week later, the president's just like, I'm going to go play Mario Kart with my f grandkids and the media is going to gush over something like that. It says, while Biden has won praise for his quieter, more businesslike approach, he is also running the risk that he and the federal government can appear almost absent. Oh, so you mean being absent gives the appearance of absence? <laughs> and this is the Washington. They're, they're looking at this. And this is to me. Could you imagine? Could you imagine a, a stark, any starker comparison between the way that these two administrations are treating something similar, natural disasters in this case? And in one case, they don't like it that Donald Trump approached it so quickly. And then they try to give him a, you know, a little kidney jab and say it's, well, he, he made it about himself. And then on the other hand, oh, isn't it great that Joe Biden's ignoring all the millions of people in Texas. Oh, this is just so wonderful. Isn't it great that we have a president? And this is the Washington Post who think about even 50 years ago, would you have imagined the Washington Post would have been out there endorsing and loving their approach to ignoring a natural disaster. That's the type of stuff I'm talking about. And I thought Adam Weiss did a great job illustrating that too. 
All right, got another hour of Overnight America coming up. And an Illinois lawmaker says that video games should be banned that lead to violence. Or do they or do they not? Maybe you look at it a different way. That's coming up on Overnight America KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.